0: We just praise the Lord for what he's already done over there this past um, four years, and uh, I feel like we've gotten the, the ground all tore up now, and we are praying that this next term we'll see things get uh, grow and, and become even more established there in, uh, in Moldova. Well, there's been certain times in my life when I've stopped and I've written down things that I've learned. Uh, for example, when my grandfather passed away last year, one of the things I did was write out things that that he taught me, and things that I don't want to forget, things I want to pass on to my children. And then uh, there was another time in my life after I had uh, worked with another missionary during summer missions trips. He was a veteran missionary, and and I got thinking, what are the lessons that I've been able to glean from him? And so I ended up taking time to write those things down, and so I have that list. Well, when we got close to the end of this uh, last furlough, I wanted to write down the lessons that God had been teaching me during this last term in Moldova. And that's what I want to look at this evening, uh, the lessons that I learned this past term. Now, these are biblical principles, uh, so we'll be looking at Scripture as we go through these different lessons. But hopefully, it'll be a blessing to you as well. And if these are things that God has been working in my life about, uh, if you've already got these down pat, then this will just be like waving pom-poms saying, keep, it, keep going, keep going. Uh, but maybe some of these areas will be something that will be of a blessing and of a help to you as well. Um, First of all, let's turn to James chapter 4, verse number 13. James chapter 4, verse number 13. Very familiar verses, and uh, let's see what it says here. James chapter 4, verse number 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In these verses, we see this. People that think they have the guarantee of tomorrow, without recognizing that tomorrow may not be there, There's a problem here. The Bible teaches us that if we end up having our plans and we're convinced that tomorrow we'll be able to do such and such, uh, we're fooling ourselves. And the first principle that was the lesson for me, the first lesson in Moldova was this. Today's opportunities may be gone tomorrow. Today's opportunities may be gone tomorrow. There were some times this past term in Moldova when I learned this the hard way. In our prayer letters, I had uh, mentioned about a young man by the name of Marcell. Uh In our prayer letters, it was just the letter M. Um, we try to be sensitive since the stuff goes on the Internet and such to not always plaster people's names on there. Uh, but Marcelle had come during a Thursday evening, and he came in afterwards. I talked with him, and he said, Listen, we just moved in town. I have two girls and uh, my daughters. I want them to grow up knowing the truth. But I can't teach them the truth if I don't know the truth. And previously, where he was at, someone had given him a Bible, and he started reading it. And as he was reading it, he started looking, comparing what the Eastern Orthodox Church teaches in Moldova versus what the Bible says, and he was saying they're not matching. And so he had all these questions, and so I began to meet with him and answer questions. He was coming regularly to every single service. I was so excited. This was so encouraging for, uh, for me. And we had given the gospel during the the messages, Uh, but I was waiting for just the right time to get a sit-down, just one-on-one with him, and just hit it hard on the gospel, just to find out whether or not he truly is born again. Well, before that happened, his daughter got sick, and then I visited them in the hospital, and then they just disappeared out of town. I mean, just disappeared. His wife, him, never saw him again. I have no idea what happened. I know he was waiting for a uh, work visa to work in another country in Europe, And I don't know if that came in and he just left and just didn't tell me. I don't know. But in through this, I saw I lost my opportunity. It was just another quick reminder that the plans that we have, we may not be able to put them into practice tomorrow. And so it is important for us to not put off tomorrow what we can do today. You ever heard that phrase? Something My mom used to always have a phrase like that. But... It's not just in the area of, of giving the gospel. Maybe maybe there is someone that you know you need to share the gospel with, and you haven't done it yet, and you keep thinking, well, I'll wait, I'll wait, or you know, I need to build a relationship with them first. Uh, let, let me ask you something. In the Bible, when you read about when Jesus met the lady at the well, how many months did he spend getting to know her and build a relationship? It was a matter of minutes, we could say, okay? And he already started into the gospel with her. And I believe building relationships are important. We've seen how people's attitude towards us in Moldova has changed with time. When they see that, is their talk going to match their walk? And they've seen a difference. And so there's been changes in that towards the, the positive over there. But I believe we are believing something that's not true if we think that we have to build relationships with people before we give the gospel. I don't find that in the Bible. When Jonah walked into Nineveh, how long did he wait before he started preaching? (laughs) I don't think he waited. And so let me encourage you in this. Don't put off giving the gospel to someone. Do it as soon as possible. Don't waste those opportunities. There are other times when Jacob and I would go knocking on doors, and and we'd find someone who was interested in the gospel, and uh, and then... uh, they, uh, we arranged it to come back like a week or two later, and we come back and they're gone. They end up moving to go work outside of Moldova. And this happened more times than I would like to say. We lost those opportunities. It's so important for us to realize and remember that today's opportunities may be gone tomorrow. There's other times when we saw the opportunities we took those, and we saw God bless. You saw um, Jeanette, and they're the Filipino lady who got baptized. I was in the store in Moldova, and I looked over, and I saw this lady. I'm like, she's not Moldovan. <laughs> and uh, I don't recall seeing Filipinos in Moldova before, so this really stood out to me. And, of course, there's that that slight moment of decision of, well, do I go up and talk to her? It might be a bit awkward for her in the middle of the grocery store. Or, um, you don't look like you're from around here, you know? <laughs> So, I ended up uh, walking up to her and uh, greeted her in Romanian and said, "Vorbești limbo Romana, do you speak Romanian?" she said I speak a little and uh, so then I switched to English, I said, "Well, do you speak English?" <gasps> her eyes got real big, she said, "Yes, I speak English." <gasps> Oh, where are you from? I said, I'm from, from America, and we're missionaries here, and we're starting a Baptist church. Oh, did you say Baptist? I said, yes. Oh, I listened to Charles Stanley, and I, I want to be baptized in a Baptist church. She had trusted Christ a number of years ago. I think it was around six to eight years previously. And due to her husband, who's German, he's a road engineer, and uh, so she's been living in different countries. A lot of, Sometimes it's been in uh, Muslim countries. So she's not had an opportunity to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. And so we had the privilege of baptizing her. But it was just a reminder again, the time that we were in the same city and never saw her, there's a good possibility that I may have never seen her again. It was a chance, it was an opportunity that, by God's grace, I didn't put off for another time. And we saw God bless it. Tamara, the one that I ended up leading to the Lord, uh, Jacob and I went and visited her, gave her a ride, and uh, ended up getting to... Give her the gospel and she trusted Christ. There's times where we've seen that because we took the opportunity, how many doors God ended up opening up and how God worked. Maybe it's not about witnessing. Maybe it's you need to go apologize to someone and make things right. And you keep thinking, well, you know, maybe another time or you may not have tomorrow. Don't put off what you need to do now. The Bible says for him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, it's what? It's sin. Don't lose the chance of saying to your father, your mother, your children, I love you. Don't put it off. You may not get it tomorrow. Let me encourage you in this area. Today's opportunities may be gone tomorrow. Let's turn over now to Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 4. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 4, and we'll see the next lesson from this last term. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 4. The verse says this, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. Makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if someone has an ox, last time I checked, oxen don't clean up after themselves, do they? Okay, they just do their business and eat and whatever while they're there in the, in the stall. And so whoever's has the ox and they have to take care of it. They have to feed it. They have to make sure they get water. They clean up the stall after all the mess and such. It's more work, we can put it that way, than if they did not have the ox. But they're able to accomplish more work because of the ox. This is a principle that I saw put into practice as all work this past term in Moldova. And this is the lesson. Teamwork is hard work, but it accomplishes more work. Teamwork is hard work, but it accomplishes more work. God has blessed us with a team in Moldova. We work with Jacob and Viola Hughes and Sarah Bodily. And I, I tell you, I love having a team. While we are here in, in America, the work's still going on in Moldova. And Jacob, I just got a couple emails from him today, getting an update on how things are going over there and uh, sending him an email back on how things are going here. I thank the Lord for them. To be able to, to work together with other people it's a blessing to not have to be over there trudging through that, the work by ourselves. But also I've noticed it's more work, too. Uh, one, This became very evident when he came back on furlough. I didn't have to call and check his schedule to see if we can both make this visit together. I didn't have to remember to communicate something to him or worry about forgetting that. In some ways, it was less work when he was gone. But I tell you, we accomplished more work together. In other words, that work that it takes for us to communicate, to keep our relationships right and all that, it's worth it. It really is worth it. And I know Wednesday night you guys have a prayer time, and let me give you something that you can remember to pray for for missionaries. If you know that the missionary works in a team, as we do, pray that God will keep unity and peace in the team. Satan wants to destroy that, okay? So pray that the Lord would keep unity and peace within the team, that God would bless that work together, that we would put in the work in communicating. You wouldn't believe how many times where I had to ask forgiveness because I forgot to communicate something, or maybe I didn't say things the right way. Okay, so pray for us. Pray for me in in that area uh, as well. But teamwork is more work, but it accomplishes more work. The next uh, principle is, uh, is this. Uh, turn with me over to Mark chapter 4 in the New Testament. Mark chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower, the seed, and the four types of earth. Notice what it says here in Mark chapter 4. We'll begin in verse number 2. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, now there, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, some hundred. In this parable, one of the benefits or lessons that we can glean from this parable is whose responsibility is whose in this. And one of the lessons I had to learn this last term is being careful to make sure that I'm not taking on responsibilities or burdens that are not mine to carry. Let me give you an example. In this, whose job is it to cast the seed? It's the sower. Whose job is it for the seed to grow? It's not the sower's, is it? We see that the, the difference between each of the the growth of the seed was the earth. And Jesus says in the parable, that's the heart of man. And this is the principle or lesson that I end up learning, and I'm still learning, this last term in Moldova. I am not responsible for people's past mistakes, nor am I responsible for how people respond to biblical truth. I am responsible to speak the truth in love. Let me explain what I mean by this. I'm not responsible for people's past mistakes. You know, sometimes people would end up coming to us, actually quite frequently, because they have a problem. Some crisis has happened in their life, And they either need money or they need help with a certain thing. They don't know what to do in the situation. And what I ended up finding was that I had the sense of guilt if I don't help them and I don't get them out of this problem. And it was hard when people would come with these problems and I'm like, oh, oh, you know, I got this problem now. You know, wait, wait, hold on. Whose problem was it? (laughs) And sometimes I ended up taking up their problem and making it my problem. But the problem was that Sometimes they got into these situations because of bad decisions, sometimes sinful decisions. And I started realizing that, you know what, it's not my burden always to carry in these kinds of situations. I'm not obligated to always help. And there's some cases I should not help. We help a lot of people. If you go over over to Soroka and you start talking to people in our neighborhood, you'll find out. We help people. But I started realizing I have to be very careful in... First of all, keeping in mind that people's, I'm not responsible for their past mistakes. They made the mistake with it. They made the bad decisions. And that doesn't mean that I have to bail them out. Sometimes I have to go, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you this time. Why? So that they can learn the lesson. If a guy is a drunk and he's always needing food, you keep feeding him, guess what he's going to keep doing? (laughs) You know, a hungry stomach might get him a little more sober. It's important for us to have wisdom in these things. Another thing you can pray for us is for wisdom in these decisions. It's hard. Was it just today? I think it was. We got a, an email or, uh, from someone in Moldova about a crisis that they're in. Uh, I'm not responsible for people's past mistakes. Second part is, nor am I responsible for how people respond to biblical truth. Sometimes I've had to tell people, listen, you know, the reason why this came about is because of this. And and, and the Bible says this about the situation. Well, if all they're wanting is a bailout and not want to listen to it, you know, sometimes they don't respond the most positively. (laughs) But I can't take it personal. I'm not responsible for how they respond to biblical truth. Just like the sower who casts the seed there, he's not responsible for whether it grows or not. And when we give the gospel to people, when we give biblical truth, when we give biblical advice Friends, brothers and sisters, listen to me. If they don't respond the right way, don't take it personal. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel guilty because it's not your responsibility for how they respond to it. And that's hard sometimes. Because when people get upset, (laughs) when we try to lead them in the right way, there's a tendency to feel guilty, to feel hurt and what have you but we're not responsible for how they respond to it. But we are responsible to speak the truth in love. It is important how we give the truth. That is very important. It is important that we give the truth. We must give it in love. I'm not responsible for people's past mistakes, nor am I responsible for how people respond to biblical truth. I am responsible to speak the truth in love. Turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 1. Back to the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 1. The principle is this. You will learn more and grow more from people's correction and criticism, than from people's praise. I'll say that again. You will learn and grow more from people's correction than from people's praise. Notice what the Bible says about this. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 1. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Over in chapter 27, verse number 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Then over in chapter 28, verse 23, it says, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. We like praise, don't we? It feels a whole lot better, doesn't it? Hearing, brother, that message was a blessing to me. Yeah, it feels better than, hey, um, that was taken out of context. <laughs> you know, when we get correction instead of praise, yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? It's very easy for us to become defensive when someone ends up correcting us or pointing something out. It's because they're stepping on a pride. We saw those verses in Proverbs, and it says what? The kisses of an enemy, 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 I can't even speak. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you don't love reproof, it says you're brutish. If you love reproof, you're wise. And also, when you reprove someone, not maybe at that moment, but it says afterward, you'll find more favor. It says there in Proverbs chapter 28, you'll find more favor than someone who just gives praise and flattery with the tongue. How do you handle correction? Maybe the correction comes from the pastor. Maybe it comes from hearing the Word of God preached. Maybe that correction comes from a boss. Younger people, maybe the correction comes from a parent. (laughs) Wives, maybe the correction comes from a husband. Wherever this, maybe at work, from a boss, how do you handle correction? Do you accept it? Do you thank the person for it? (gasps) tell them thank you yes that's a great way to respond isn't it I've never, I've never done that before try it when you get correction thank the person for it why because they're going to help you grow let me give you an example when we were in moldova and when i started doing the bible study with nadia she was also in the video her daughter uh sophia was also in the video Well, we started doing the Bible studies at her house and Jacob was with me and we'd read through a chapter and then we'd uh, discuss it. Uh, We'd discuss it verse by verse as we'd go through it. But Nadia's daughter kept correcting me with my Romanian, how I was reading it. No, the accent's on this other part. No, you didn't pronounce this word correctly. No, blah, blah. There were times when we would leave the Bible study and Jacob would look at me and say, whoa, I didn't know if we were going to make it through reading the chapter. How do you deal with that? (laughs) But because of her and because of that correction, I can read the Bible in Romanian much more fluently. I know how to enunciate the words correctly. Why? Because of the criticism. If she would have said, Oh, David, you do it so well. Oh, as a foreigner, you read the Romanian so well. But she's hearing all these mistakes. Would that have helped me? No. It was a reminder to me of how correction will help us learn and grow more than praise. There are other times, Just uh, I'm the team leader on our team, and there's been times where I haven't said something right or done something right, and it got pointed out. Oh, man, there. But those are the times when I was able to learn and grow more. How do you handle correction? This is one of the lessons that was shown to me there that I need to make sure that I'm receiving correction the right way. Because I know, for me, the natural response, the first response is to get defensive and give my reasons why it was okay or just kind of shrug it off. But those corrections help us to grow. How are you handling correction? Do you tell that person thank you after you're corrected? Next lesson is this. Pastoring is good work. But hard work, honor your pastor. I want us to look at two passages for this in the New Testament. First is First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 12. Turn with me if you would. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 12. Verse 12 and 13 says this. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their works sake and be at peace among yourself. Here he says to esteem them highly, to give honor. To whom? Those that have the um, the rulership over the church, the pastors, those that are in leader, spiritual leadership in your lives. Look over also in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17. I believe this is in in reference to the spiritual leadership. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. This last term in Moldova was the first time in my life when I had the responsibility to, to function in the role of a pastor. I had been involved in so many different ministry aspects and roles throughout my life, but never was I given this responsibility to function as pastor. But now in Moldova, now that we have a group of believers there in Soroka, we have a group of believers in Bulboch, now this is what I do over there. I function in that role. Boy, it was an eye-opener. I mean, I respected pastors in the past, but now that I've walked in their shoes, I understand a whole lot more of what they go through pastoring is good work i love what i do i wouldn't want to do anything else but i realize it's hard work i was telling pastor at supper this evening uh, a couple of years ago during the summer i was preaching and i started having pains in my chest and they wouldn't go away and got to the point i was having shortness of breath and i didn't know if i was going to make it through the morning message and uh I made it through, and then afterwards I asked Jacob, I said, this is not going away. I said, can you drive me down to the capital city? So we got in the car, and he drove me down the capital, went to the the hospital there in the capital city of Moldova. And uh, in the end they said, you know, your heart looks great, um, but we think you're having some heart spasms is what we're thinking, and it's probably due to stress. (laughs) Well, this has never happened before. uh, But it was just an eye-opener to me that, you know what, ministry does carry its weights. Let me give you a couple of examples of, of this. Those of you who get calls from work at all hours of the day and night, your pastor knows what it's like. Those of you who have jobs being a referee between people conflicts, your pastor knows what that is like. Those of you who have to give counsel for your jobs and feel the hurt and frustration when people don't take your counsel and end up facing dire consequences because of it, your pastor knows what it's like. Those of you who are trying to do what is right before God, but have your motives questioned and are sometimes villainized by others, your pastor understands. Pastoring is not a man-made position. It is something that God has established. It is something that we find that God has ordained it. And the Bible says that he who desireth the office of a bishop desireth a good thing. It is good. But it is hard work. A lot of times people just see what the pastor does on Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek service. But there's a whole lot that goes on behind the scenes. Praying, weeping, wanting to know, God, I need your wisdom on this situation. I want to help these people. Lord, I see how what direction they're going in, and this isn't the right direction. Lord, what do I do? And then sometimes doing everything that that we can in our in our our own power, in our responsibility what we're supposed to do, and just knowing the rest is in that person's hand between them and God. Pastoring is hard work. But it's good work. The last principle I want to see is this. If you'll turn over to Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty six. Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty six. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36, it says this. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Let me, this is the lesson that I learned this last term. We still need to pray for more laborers. Do you realize now there's over seven and a half billion people on this planet? Only 200 years ago, there was only one billion people. In the span of 200 years, we've gone from one billion to over seven and a half billion people. One billion, seven and a half billion. Wow. That's a big change, folks. In other words, the job is still there for us. We still need more labors. We still need more men going into the pastorate, going into the ministry. Not less. There are places in Moldova where they have no pastor and no deacons because they upped and moved to America and left the sheep there by themselves without a pastor. There are churches here in America that have no pastor. There are places in America that still have no gospel preaching church. Folks, the job is not done. We need to pray for more laborers. What can you pray for tonight? Pray for more laborers. We need more in Moldova. Lots of countries in in the world need more preachers. America needs more preachers. The whole issue of a call is something that, this is a part B under this, is something else I ended up learning. And finally, the the pieces, the puzzle just fell together this last term for me. When I was young and I was Trying to counsel a friend. This is back in high school. Trying to counsel a friend uh, who I saw making bad decisions, and I was weeping, and and uh, and I was talking to my mom about it and and, and such. And I was, had expressed her interest in in full time ministry, and, and I said, "Mom, I don't feel like I'm worthy of this." She said, "If you think you are worthy, then you're probably not." End up taking steps forward. End up going to study pastoral ministries, missions, minored in missions. And all throughout there, I remember hearing statements like, got to have a call, got to be called. And I didn't understand what they meant, because a lot of times, the way people talked, it was some mystical thing, like they got this, I, we're not charismatic, so we don't believe in hearing a voice, but it still was this very nebulous, mystical, subjective type thing. And quite honestly, I couldn't relate with a lot of the things that I was hearing. Over this last term, I end up realizing I am called, if you want to say it that way. I knew God wanted. I, I'll put it this way: I had a very strong desire to preach the gospel and be in full time ministry—a very strong desire. I didn't have a desire for anything else. I could have done other things, but this is what I wanted to do. And as I continue to follow, follow the Lord and respond to that desire. I believe the Lord led me. Proverbs sixteen nine says, "A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps." How do you know if someone is called? Maybe there's there's someone here. Maybe there's a man here that is kind of wondering about this. Well, Let me tell you. Let me explain to you what the call. Number one, we're all commanded to preach the gospel. This is, has nothing to do. That is our calling. Okay, we're all commanded. We are all called to preach the gospel. If we're a believer, we're a child of God. We got to preach the gospel. It's commanded. But for being the pastor, this is what the Bible says. If a man desireth the office of a bishop, he desireth the good thing. There needs to be a desire. If someone has a desire for it, number one, and number two, you meet the qualifications that are listed there in Scripture, and your local church recognizes and agrees with this, that sounds like a calling to me. And this is how God works. I think we've complicated things. If you're qualified and you have a desire for it, start talking to your pastor. It'd be his joy to talk further with you over that. We need more preachers. We need more people that are serving the Lord. We need more missionaries. And if you don't have that desire to be the pastor or to be a missionary, do me a favor. Pray for more laborers. Pray for more laborers. We need more. Not some great... Expository message, I know. But these were the lessons that the Lord had taught me over this past term in Moldova. Is there something that you're putting off that you need to do? Whether it's share the gospel with someone else, get things right with the Lord or with someone else. Maybe you've not been responding the right way to criticism and you need to go back, or correction and you need to go back and thank somebody and need to change your attitude towards it. Maybe it's you know, you haven't been praying for your pastor like you should or maybe not honoring him in your own heart and mind and not appreciating the man that God has given you. Let me encourage you in that area. Maybe you've not been praying for more labors. Let me encourage you in these areas. We need to pray for these things. The Lord has worked in my heart this last term in these areas and maybe something here was helpful for you as well.